0: You are tuned in to The Constructionist Podcast, and tonight we are continuing our series on cults. At The Constructionist, we encourage a worldview that is built on the principles of Christ. And in this episode, we are examining Christian nationalism through a clear and honest lens as cult philosophy. So next week, we're talking about evangelicalism as cult philosophy. And following on the 26th, we're talking about the occult. There's a difference between cult and occult for Halloween. So on the 26th, the occult for Halloween. So we hope to offer insights and perspectives that will help you in your journey towards a greater understanding of love and compassion for yourself and others. So we want to assure you in tonight's episode, we're not going to be fabricating anything and we're going to have informed ideas. And if we don't know something, we're going to say that, tell you that maybe we're guessing, and point you to some materials you can do your own research. Because our goal is to provide an honest and authentic perspective on our examination of tonight, Christian nationalism. So this this is our thinking space. We're here presenting ideas and thoughts, and tonight we're making our best attempt to explain very practical theologies to live by. So if you enjoy the Constructionist podcast, we want, and you want to support us financially, please follow the link in the chat or show notes on the social media platform you're listening to and visit our Give page. Your support will enable us to continue producing high quality content like this. But even more importantly, we desire to hear from you, engage with you, with very honest feedback and dialogue with you. And we believe that through our interactions and discussions with listeners like you, we can continue to learn and grow together and develop a communal hermeneutic. So we value your feedback, your questions, and your ideas. And we're excited to build a community around our shared exploration exploration so please in the comments or send us direct messages if you have any comments to make please don't hesitate to reach out to us and tell you tell us what you think so thank you sharea and thank you jake for joining us tonight as we continue our series on cults and before we get started We have one definition that we want to give. And then in a little bit of time here, we're going to then define some terms. And so right now, Sherea, I want you to give us our definition, our working definition of a cult. Now, it's very Mm -hmm. easy to mix up occult with a cult. So we're talking about cults, the, the capital, the occult, is something different. So, mm-hmm. Sheree, you're going to give us a definition on cult. What is a cult?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, the dictionary definition is simply a um, a religious belief system that's organized um, around the worship of a central figure or object. Um, so, by that definition, just about every religion falls under the definition of cult. Um, cult is often used as a, um, an insult. Um, we tend to use it as an insult, especially as Christians, um, to discredit other religious systems. Um, but the working definition we are using for this series is a high control group that is um, often organized around a charismatic, if not narcissistic leader.
0: So one leader or a handful of leaders, mm-hmm. and it's a high controlled system. That is what mm-hmm. um, society probably accepts as the mm-hmm. definition of cult. Although every religion that emerges, like even like when the Reformed German Reformed Church branched from Catholicism, that probably was thought of as this cult group. Um, mm-hmm. And when the religion becomes a nationally accepted or worldwide accepted faith then and becomes more of an accepted religion, then that's that's where it moves from its cult philosophy or cult behavior to more of an accepted like religion. So I believe this is why Christians have such a difficult time just not calling everything besides themselves a cult because anything that we don't believe has like weird, oh gosh, what is that? But if it's Mm -hmm. nationally accepted or internationally accepted, so this is why the Bodhwan of the the Rajneesh of Oregon, when he came and he developed this organized um, system of quote, religious practices, but centered around the Bodhwan, um, that was very cult-like. The problem with that now is in India, uh, the Rajneesh is considered, and that and that religion is considered a nationally accepted religion, and so it is accepted on their list of accepted religious practices. So, so we walk some fine lines with what is cult and what is not cult. I think it's fair to just say something organized by a single high controlled and uh, systematic leader narcissistic leader rather in a systematic environment um definitely falls under our the the constructionists uh, definition of cult but there's also something called cult philosophy so there is a philosophy of cult behavior it's a study um, of how cults emerge And when a cult philosophy then begins to take root in, I guess, communities, then you have this emergence of people groups under the authority of a single leader. Or it could just be a national, like, cultish-type philosophy. So we're going to spend two weeks in this kind of gray area of cult philosophy, where it takes on kind of the the, uh, the nose, fingers and toes kind of form of cult, yet it's not so much organized. And there might be a leader leading that charge. um, But it's not such an organized group. And we would call that here at the constructionist, a cult philosophy. And that is what we would categorize Christian nationalism under here. Now, I will say that Christian nationalism is probably the single most um, biggest threat to Christianity as we know it in modern time. Uh, one of the single most biggest threats. There's a lot of threats out there to Christian uh, Christ center, Jesus uh, faith, but this is one of the single most, in especially the United States, single most biggest threat to to our faith. And the challenge is that the more rooted you are in Christian nationalism, the more Christian you feel, think, and perceive you are, and anybody speaking against that is thought of as anti-Christian. So, yeah, yeah, here we go. Okay, we'll probably get some hate mail, right, of people thinking that we are anti-Christian. I believe that Jesus is the way, truth, and the life. And through my relationship with Christ, I get eternal life with God forever. And that grace has been given to me through the mercy and the blood of Jesus on the cross. And I believe in the resurrected Christ, that the resurrection was an event and it was real. And so right at that at that juncture, then this becomes a Jesus plus idea where if you're a Christian nationalist, you are saying that I have to be some kind of patriot America supporting in a very far extreme way. I have to believe in the values of a nation along with my Christianity. Well, I would say right at this point, that Christianity, Jesus, transcends all nations. Jesus transcends all politic philosophy. And so if you are a, let's say you live in um, some country that is not capitalist, or if you live in a country that's not, let's say, socialist, or, or even like there's only one or two Maybe true Marxist states anymore, and so if you if you uh, if you live in such places, Jesus transcends those places. If you live in a capitalist country, communist or Marxist country, or a socialist country, that that Jesus transcends places, also transcends time. So 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 our republic has not been a republic for very long. And Jesus transcends our Republic and so we need to first and foremost Just solidify and and camp on that idea That if you believe that Jesus rose from the dead and is your Savior That that he is the Messiah as it's said in Scripture that he is the one that came and lived and died for the sins of many that and the sins of all not just many sorry the sins of all people that if you believe that then that would identify you as the a christian as the core essential belief of christianity that is the essential question do you believe that jesus is the christ the son of the living god so so we're going to talk about this christian nationalism idea but i need to talk a little bit about history first and then i'm going to turn it over to sharia and jake to talk about the practical implications of christian nationalism and our way out of christian nationalism and how do we get out of it Um, because some people think that we need to get deeper in it and i would say we need to get out of it um because it's detrimental to our to our faith and our context and our nation as well so in 1954 i'm going to go back to 1954 now you can take nationalism or christian nationalism all the way back, I mean, 350, you got some Constantine behavior where he's a Christian nationalist, right? Where we become a Christian state back in uh, Constantine's uh, era. Um, you, You have different eras of time where we became Christian nationalists. We weren't the United States. We were somewhat, you know, we were elsewhere and we were promoting that nation and doing that nation's politics. And forming a theocracy like Geneva and let's, the Swiss Reformed and the, let's say, the German Reformed. And stuff, so the, the theocracies that emerged out of Christianity. But we're talking about modern Christian nationalism. So in, in this century and the previous century, so the last 123 years, that's what we're looking at. Christian nationalism. So you can't talk about Christian nationalism without talking about white nationalism. Now they are related in the extreme forms. And I'm going to show you how they're related. In the late 1800s, you have the emergence of the KKK. You have the second group of the KKK, starting in like the early 1900s. And then forward, different KKK groups, Ku Klux Klan groups, white nationalist type people started to emerge. Anti-desegregation groups started to emerge. But in 1954, we have the Brown versus the Board of Education 1954 ruling that that uh that basically ended um by law now not necessarily by practice but by law ended segregated schools and so in law it was now illegal to have a segregate so now the desegregation era and the birth of the civil rights movement basically starts I would say it probably started way before that, but but we'll say that that is the marker of the 1954 to the 1960s, um, and the Jim Crow laws then ending in uh, 65ish. I'd have to look some of these things up, but but uh, Jim Crow until 1965. So so all of this is. Um, I guess, coming to an end in policy. So I need to be very careful of that because, because segregation and racism and, um, and racial segregation uh, has not ended. That is a continual oppressive um, behavior and practice by many. Um, and so so it is not ended, but in policy, um, at the highest levels, it has been by law, like these these laws were put in place that we were going to end such things. In lower level policies, I would say, and even in higher level policies, we, we still see uh, racism in um, institutional racism, in law. We see laws um, at the state level, especially, we see a lot of laws that have not been written off the books and such, which promote Um, such things. So, yeah.
1: Um, Another little tidbit that I think kind of fits in where you're going um, with the Brown versus the Board of Education decision, um, that's when we start to see um, private Christian schools emerge because, right, because it was a way of maintaining segregation just under a religious banner rather than right. a political one. And I think that that public school or private school movement is then going to feed into Christian nationalism later on.
2: And maybe we should yes. just say alternative school because private school, but also like homeschooling.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that was a big mm-hmm. The homeschool so. movement is also a part of that.
0: Right. So good point, good point. Um, well, we have always, as a nation, tried to, uh, when it comes to f- our families, our family unit, we've always had this independence or this, this. Well, I'll use the word segregated idea in our communities and in our neighborhoods. In our communities and neighborhoods, we've removed or isolated or pulled ourselves away from the community, from the communal thinking. And so that is what sometimes I think that that's what America is almost built on, is I can do whatever I want, regardless of whoever that hurts. And so, so when a law is passed, that's my now Moment to remove myself from and try to get outside of that law and still behave and do the very things that I do um, and want to do. And it's really easy to then film that, like put a film over it or put a blanket of Christianity over my philosophy, my self-centric philosophy, and make it a Christian ideologue that that is my ideal, that is my thing, and it's a, the Christian thing to do. Um, so white nationalism has been infiltrating Christianity, and Christianity has infiltrated white nationalism since the beginning of time. Um, but especially uh, in some of the really harsh, uh, I would consider, hate groups um, that are out there, Uh, Christianity has definitely penetrated those at its core, that white nationalism and Christianity uh, definitely in a lot of religious contexts go hand in hand. So let's advance forward then. We have then the civil rights movement. We have then some, at the federal level, some really strong bills put in place. We have amendments put in place. And now we advance forward to the 1970s. The 1970s were a time of still uh, racial inequality, of course, you know, all the way to continuing today. It's not a historically marginalized group of people. It is a current marginalized group of people, historical and current when you look at the uh, BIPOC African-American, especially uh, uh, people. And so... So in the 1970s, you have the emergence of, um, it happened before in the 1960s, but I would say evangelicalism at at its core roots in through the 1970s. Jerry Falwell, a famous pastor, then starts the moral majority or uh, the moral uh, conservative movement all the way through the 70s, then um, establishing itself fully in 1979 with Ronald Reagan and the adoption of the moral ma- majority. And then the Christian quote right, then moved to the Republican party um, under Reagan. So we see now Reagan forward, the moral majority, um, Jerry Falwell's movement then falls under then the conservative party. When before that Christians, you know, Jimmy Carter had the Christians back in the day. I mean, he was a Bible school teacher um, so a lot of people supported him um, oh. in his Christian values, uh, but that, moving that, forward, that. then in Jerry Falwell's movement, President Reagan, we see then the moral majority or the Christian conservative movement then take root.
2: I think to to push a little bit into the Carter and Democrats being on the side of the Christians, the Democrats were a were a southern based institution and yeah. so republicans are the party of lincoln and democrats were the party of the south and so right. so that i mean it who whoever flows with the system of oppression and mm-hmm. and yeah. hate i think we find christians in the center of which is sad uh if you think about the reconstruction era in the south mm-hmm. Um, that's why the Christians were so heavily Democrat because that's that's why they were there, the South, uh, Southern Democrats, and so Carter was a switch. Though I think that yeah. we see from from that very conservative Democrat to now a liberal Democrat, and mm-hmm. then our politics have never been the same.
0: Right. Well, we begin to add. Now, Christians have been notorious to adding to the message of Christ and evangelicalism definitely adds to the message of Christ where you have a Jesus plus movement where Christ likeness, whatever we deem Christ likeness, then becomes a central Christian question versus the resurrection being the central Christian question. Um, Whenever you have a Jesus plus idea, that plus becomes a human interpretation of what Christian is. And so the moral majority definitely started adding Christian plus, or Jesus plus, 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 plus. So you had this anti-abortion, um, like a human uh, uh, pro-life movement emerge out of that. You had um, some ideas with prayer in school or education being more christian-centric or allowing a prayer in school that was a movement it still is a movement but that was a movement that definitely took a strong foothold in the 1970s into the 80s so what's interesting about the moral majority, Christians Christians definitely have flipped. You know, like we've, we've flipped parties, we've flipped theologies, we've flipped philosophies, we've flipped social ethics. I mean, there, there's all kinds of things that we've flipped because the Christians were the ones that, that the pastors were the ones that helped young women that were pregnant. They were the ones on a nationwide level. Uh, pastors were the ones that helped young women into um, abortion, uh, safe abortion practices. Um, Reagan was the first governor to um, install policy for legalizing and birthing the legalization of abortions in California. So it's interesting that the Christians, like like we flip in these practices, we flip in these movements. Um, And that's what happens in the Jesus plus idea, where when you add plus, 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 then we then start identifying you have to be Republican, you have to be pro-life, you have to be anti, like some alternative lifestyle. Pick one, and is if that's the movement of the day, you have to be anti that idea in order to be Christian. Um, and we flip on these Christ-like type ideas, where the Christ-likeness becomes the, central Christian question versus the resurrection becoming the central Christian question. So out of the seventies though, there is an Aryan nation movement, white nationalist movement. That's more, I guess, military or militia used to wear blue shirts and do parades and stuff where I used to live and, And there were some leaders um, that are dead now, Richard Butler and such, that led uh, the groups up in Hayden Lake and Idaho and such in um, Christian white nationalist groups that were more militia in in form. Uh, They, um, you know, did things, said things. There was a lot of hate, anti-Semitic, anti-people of color. They were afraid of, um, you know, mixed like marriages and things like that, that, you know, if one race married another race, then and even the like the term race, um, just it, it was just a really a bad, I think, era uh, for um, for white nationalism. Um, it, it became uh, the reputation that North Idaho um, attained and still has um, to the day uh, when it comes to white nationalism is is a pretty sad reputation that they have. I remember when I was younger and in 92, I would go up to my grandmother's house and and I was painting and doing different things for her on her house and I lived in Southern Idaho and she lived in Northern Idaho. So I would spend my summers up there and, and in August of 92, there was a gentleman up at Ruby Ridge, which is, which is just North of Sandpoint towards Bonner's ferry. There was a gentleman on highway 95. There was a gentleman called Randy Weaver. His name was Randy Weaver. His and his family lived up in um, kind of the woods. They were stoved up in this cabin type of house and, And he, you know, he was involved in different things, probably involved or at least had friends within some of these other people groups. But uh, he would buy and sell or he bought and sold at least one (laughs) uh, weapon uh, illegal that, you know, had had um, some illegal tracing on it at a gun trading show. And then he was flagged by the feds. So the feds show up at his house. They end up um, killing some of his family uh, during that time. They shot him, shot his wife, shot his child. And, and uh, there was whole groups of people that would show up at the the entrance to the road of his home that was blocked off by the feds. That there was whole groups of people just advocating for him, um, speaking against the feds and it is said the possibility of Timothy McVeigh being there um, was great, that he was present during those um, those protests at the end of the road, passing out literature, promoting an anti-federal government type uh, rhetoric and, and such. So then moving forward, we know that Timothy McVeigh was present during the Branch Davidians' Um, in Waco, Texas. So moving forward to 93 a year later, or actually six months, nine months later, um, six months later, April um, 19th was the end of that Branch Davidians standoff, where if you remember those days, that crane came in and started busting up the, the roof of the building, a fire starts and all those people die in that building, the federal standoff at the Branch Davidians in Waco, Texas, uh. Timothy McVeigh was there passing out literature, right, of his anti-federal government type rhetoric and then advancing forward a two year later anniversary on April 15th. And Timothy McVeigh ends up bombing Oklahoma City uh, federal building and and we see that happen in 1995 so april 19th 1995. so from 1970 the emergence of like Aryan nations anti-fed groups the militia groups that emerged out of this time so they call this the militia era where you kind of had like these independent loosely connected white nationalists anti-feds anti-government type groups emerge out of this time some cults were involved um, like the Branch Davidians, you know, and such where they would they would uh, gather weapons. They had illegal weapons stoved up in their cabin and such. And they were just they were kind of conspiracy conspiracy theorists. They, they, were they always thought the feds were looking and watching. What did what'd you say? They were preppers. right? They were definitely prepping for the fallout type of thing. And anyway, advancing forward now. We have on the international scale, then something happens, totally disconnected to the militia groups and the emergence of what's happening within the borders of the United States on a national level. We have then um, 9-11 happen in 2001. So so in 2001, September 11th, two planes uh, crash uh, purposefully into the Twin Towers, one early in the morning, and then just a short time later, another one into the second tower. We have another plane that crashes into the Pentagon, into the side of the Pentagon. Um, There's stories of people jumping out of those buildings, those stories of people dying in those buildings. There's stories of people getting out of those buildings just in time. There's stories of people running towards like like the hotel that kind of connected the two, and they, they stowed up underneath the, the overhangs, and they survived those those buildings crashing on basically on top of them. Uh, there's stories of people at the Pentagon just like on hot floors burning their legs as they were escaping out of the Pentagon. And then we have uh, the United 93 flight that that they found out what was happening they they knew what was happening they knew that they were hijacked and so they stormed the cockpit and got that plane crashed Um, and they all i think there were about 40 some people that died on that plane they crashed that plane and we were quote under attack the united states was under attack by this group called al-qaeda that was um loosely led by osama bin laden and he organized this terrorist attack on the united states Um, People sheltered uh, other people, like protected other people involved in Al-Qaeda that uh, culminated in this September 11th event. What's really interesting about that story is, and it's not a story, about that event in our history. It was life-changing, probably for the world, but especially for the United States. And life as we know it, knew it changed because because our soil was not attacked um, since World War II and Pearl Harbor and such. I mean, that was the greatest attack that we had on our soil. So so now moving forward, now we have this terrorist attack here in New York City and Pentagon and and then that crashed uh, plane. There was one congressperson that by the name of Jake, did you grab her name? I can't remember at the moment. You're muted. Barbara Lee. Barbara Lee. So Bush Jr. decides that he wants congressional support uh, for military action against Al-Qaeda, and he wanted unilateral military action, uh, but he just didn't want to use his executive powers, which there was a difference between nation-to-nation military action and nation to people group. So now we had this people group that lived in multiple places called the Al-Qaeda. Some of them were in the United States uh, and some of them were in different places than Afghanistan and and, and others. So, so we had this emergence of this people group called Al-Qaeda. So executive orders is the president can take military action against nations that threaten our national security uh, definitely go to war with us and such we can respond in military um, action. But Barbara Lee saw that there was a unilateral we can just attack at any level. And so she said no to that military action. And her one vote, I can't remember how many tens of thousands of death threats she got because of that uh, voting no and and the way that I understand it all she wanted was to not have such a unilateral just license to kill she yeah. wanted something a little more controlled I believe that that's what she was well it, it couldn't um, be just
2: a carte blanche action where they could declare the, the, the executive branch could declare war anytime at anybody right and the president still holds that power and also well that
1: was the war on terror. So it was any, anyone right. deemed terrorist. Terrorist. Right, right.
0: International, so so also... this is a long history leading up to this one point. This one point. I remember preaching that Sunday post-September 11th. The church was full. Um, it was nuts how full the church was. Corner to corner, front to back, mezzanine level packed. Um, just people standing room only in the church post September 11th. Remember preaching a sermon? I don't remember what that sermon was. I was so in shock about what happened in the United States. Uh, I remember the day after, couple days after September 11th, uh, still all planes, the, the, the sky was silent. There was no planes in the sky. Um, and if you were a plane in the sky in a commercial uh, airliner and you were not following orders, there was a unilateral decision made by the president, executive powers, to shoot you down. So if you were a plane and you were not following the rules, you could have been shot down. That's why United 93, they actually thought for a little bit that Never that was shot down. shot down by the United States. Um, but then it was it was later learned they were calling and they stormed the cockpit, and they knew that from the, from the recordings. So, So that one moment in history, in my life, I remember the whole United States uniting against one people, that we used our patriotism and our nationalism to unite together. We were attacked by this people. And out of that emerges a phobia, a phobia against the other. Now, we've had that phobia always. Um, but it seemed like that in this era, it crystallized to clear that who we were against. We were against Islam. We were against the Islamic Muslim people. And out of that emerged Islamophobia, uh, what later is termed Islamophobia. So that long history, then we see these militia groups then organize, right, Um pre-9-11, and then all of a sudden the nation organizes. We are all united towards this, against this one people. Now, I would say that that's called, and its core, nationalism. I haven't seen probably since, and I wasn't alive in Pearl Harbor, but probably the same idea happened in Pearl Harbor, where we were all joining forces, joining minds, joining philosophy, joining religion to be against the other. So a couple of terms, and then I'll turn it over to our, to our experts here. Couple of terms. Right. In modern time, in modern time, our economy post-1989 to 91, Um, The end of the Cold War, we see emerge a lot of Russians actually left that those countries um, during this era, especially when uh, the USSR actually fully fell economically. They left. We became um, basically the economic interconnected worldwide community became the international system called globalism. And globalism, post-war, everything's interconnected. So what I buy here affects what other people buy in Europe, or affects what other people do in Japan. That's called globalism. And in our modern time, globalism, and especially post uh, post uh, 9/11, globalism has a lot of anti... Well, anti-Semitic and also anti-Islam xenophobia uh, type Islamophobia. So let's just call it xenophobia, afraid of the other. That xenophobia then emerges within economy. So you have anti-immigration, you have anti-Semitic or xenophobia, anti-Islamic uh, Islamophobia emerge within an economic interconnected system. Called globalism. Uh, moving forward now, like we have globalism, which you know is kind of post 2016 used as this insult. You're a globalist. Um, okay. We actually are all globalist because we shop on certain websites that are global websites. So so, um, but it's a it's a it's an insulting term. If you are a liberal, you are a globalist. Um, and and so yeah. So then we have emergence post um, post 2016. Now we have this emergence of these this language alt right, alt left, antifa, alt light. <laughs> uh, did I say antifa? Yeah, we have those. And then social justice warriors. So those are all <coughs> terms. Some are insults. And some are terms used to um, express the collective thinking of, well, alt-right has roots in white nationalism. So the collective thinking of white nationalism, racism, uh, anti-social justice behavior, um, anti-justice behavior, um, galvanize or or collect in the alt-right groups, not all, but. I would say that that's the sentiment of Mm -hmm. most alt-right groups. Um, And then in reaction, now you have the alt-left. The alt-left is basically if you have any left ideals, then you're (laughs) alt-left or a social justice warrior type of thing. But I would say that Antifa is probably, let's say, um, categorized as the group in the left that uses forms of violence for overthrowing systems so that's where violence enters into play that's where street violence enters into play that's why then you have anti-police anti-government type of things to try to overturn anti-social justice type behavior so that is a long history so i know what shrey is going to ask me how does christian nationalism connect it's very easy to take a statement, an ideal or a philosophy and cover it with a religion, call it Christian, and then camp on that. The more that we are this way, the more Christian we are. It's a Jesus plus mentality. Mm-hmm. And so Christians have flipped And we have, in evangelicalism mostly, we have adopted some of these conservative Christian values, alt-right white nationalism, and patriotism that we see that now if we are a patriot, you're a Christian if you're a patriot. You're a Christian if you're conservative. You're a Christian if you have the moral majority Christian conservative values. And so white nationalism takes on different forms, different depths, I think I think it's unfair to call everybody that's conservative in their politics, a Christian nationalist, Um, just like it's unfair to call anybody that has left ideals or left politics Antifa or or an alt left. Um, I think that alt left can be reserved or used for people that um, and it's seen in in some of the literature that it's mostly white nationalist ideas that are promoted in alt-left that the white person is a is a soon to be extinct person that the threat is against the white person and and so eventually we're all going to um die off that are white and that's supposedly the conspiracy of the alt-right. So with those definitions, with all those thoughts, Christian nationalism takes on some very practical forms. And so Shreya, why don't you take the practical form of all of this and take the bridge. Let's use a bridge of, we have xenophobia, we have have nationalism, we have patriotism, we have 2001, September 11th, culminating at a focus of nationalism Twenty two years later now uh, we are in this place. A quarter century almost of this place of total division. Um, rhetoric. A lot of misinformation. So how does it practically I mean. look for <laughs> us?
1: Um, OK, I have a couple of thoughts. Um, So one of the things that is a value within white American culture is individualism. Um, And I saw a a comment on a TikTok video a couple weeks ago, and I've been sitting with this comment for a couple of weeks. Um, Somebody said, when we don't unpack our individualism, we end up creating a cult.
2: Love yeah. That. So yeah. I
1: would, I would also love to talk about that idea next week when we talk about evangelism. Yeah. Um, but we see this come up with nationalism too. When we don't unpack our individualism, we end up with a vision for our nation that excludes everyone who isn't like us. So we can see that yeah. unfolding in the U S right now, as we're trying to exclude the history of black people in this country, um, don't as like we're trying us, to the
2: like us that we want. Right. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of there's a that's lot of true likes, <laughs> it's the that we want,
1: yeah, um, but we see this trying to exclude the queer community from full participation in society, um, right? We're trying to create an America where things go my way and I only have to be around people that I like. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it also relates to this idea of American exceptionalism that, that we're the best, we're the specialist, we're blessed by God. Um, And we're
0: superior. Yeah. That's white nationalism that the white person is superior, but a Christian nationalist would say Christians are superior,
1: right? Supremacy is underneath all of it. White Mm -hmm. supremacy, male supremacy, Christian supremacy, um, it's almost and like,
0: I, it's almost like the, the crusades, you know, like
1: it, yeah, the,
0: the religion thought that they were so superior that they started killing other people. Mm-hmm. It's just crazy how we get there.
1: Yeah. And then um, something Jake brought up in our pre-work is that we also end up with a violence based culture.
0: Right. Right.
1: Um, from the militia history to the, glorification of second amendment rights Mm -hmm. to violent speech freedom of speech i can say whatever i want
0: um so pause there so the bridge that i can make right now is militia history like like even the aryan nations or randy weaver stoving up in his cabin with all his guns or or even david koresh and all his guns Um, Mm -hmm. that idea of second amendment, I have a right to carry this gun and now I'm going to have a Bible and a Mm -hmm. gun together, Mm -hmm. right? That's militia history being carried forward in Christian nationalism.
1: God's guns and babies.
0: (laughs) God's guns and babies. That's right. Yeah. Wow. That's, that was a political slogan for a, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: for a campaign. Yeah. was it? I don't know. Was it?
1: I don't remember who it was. It was a woman.
0: Marjorie Taylor Green, or oh, yeah, I mean, God's guns and babies. Whatever. Yeah, being baptized with your guns—that was a practice mm-hmm. here in Oregon. Um, that people were being baptized with their guns, like with them, <laughs> like yeah. like not in the water, but you know, you're holding your gun while you're being baptized above the water. Oh, you right. got to hold
1: it out so it doesn't get wet. Yeah,
0: well, yeah who, wants to, who wants to? wants right. to get their That AR, looks you
1: know very wet. ridiculous. <laughs>
0: It's totally ridiculous.
2: I mean, it's very Constantinian where you
0: would baptize
2: a mm-hmm. whole soldier except for their mm-hmm. fighting arm, right?
0: Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. How else does this practically look? Because this is really interesting to me.
1: <clears throat>
2: I think family structures, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And so, like, yeah. um, if we just take... Mom, dad,
1: like, 2.5 kids?
2: No, let's just take, like the main criticism of the BLM movement
1: mm-hmm.
2: was a statement on their website that said they want to change the definition of the nuclear family to make it. Broken. I thought it was deconstruct. I mean, I think it was a little harsher language. Okay. Than that. Let's but just God. say yeah. deconstruct fair, yeah. the idea of the nuclear family, Right, nuclear family being mom, dad, children. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I mean, most kids, most, many, many 50, what, 50 percent <laughs> more right are uh, like a ador- a uh, divorced parents yep. don't live in a nuclear family setting right and so so the 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 idea of the christian nationalist is to have that not prairie home companion what's the other one what's the uh, little house <laughs> in the prairie idea of yeah family
0: yeah yeah sure But something much different.
1: (laughs) Can I can I offer um, the opposite side of that though? Because we can talk about dismantling the nuclear family, but we don't talk about what what the solution is, which is which is a neighborhood, which is an extended family, aunts and uncles and grandparents and friends who are family, um, which is a really beautiful picture.
2: and two. if I had children, uh,
1: how I would want them to be raised, you know? Right. Um,
2: yeah, I think we practically as well as this idea of isolationism, right? And that's what you're talking
1: mm-hmm.
2: about. And that yeah. The, yeah. More, the more we segregate, the more we isolate ourselves into, into right or wrong or even good or bad. I think, I think that's also the Christian national idea is that there's actually a good and a bad person. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, and that your
2: your um, your blessing of life is based on your goodness or your badness. And so if you're if you're blessed (laughs) or like you have material, wealth, you're inherently good. Well,
0: before you get so deep, I don't want to I don't want to give a Christian nationalist that much intellectual credit to be 100% honest, um, because most things in our society that have a like fad or fervent adoption, we're gonna be this, right? Um, Like a clothing style almost, right? Starts with signs and symbols. That starts with signs and symbols. So the sign and the symbol of a Christian nationalist idea is a cross and a Bible or kneel to the cross and salute the flag, stand for the anthem, kneel mm-hmm. to the cross. Those those symbols that you see on the back of vehicles, yeah. um, it starts with signs and symbols. Now I'm a semiotician, So I. I think that signs and symbols are very powerful. I mean, anytime you see, like, the cross,
2: you see that... It's what what our
0: society is built on. It's a powerful symbol. You see the American flag, that's a powerful symbol. In negativity, if you see the Confederate flag, you know exactly what that represents. If you see a Nazi flag, you know exactly what that represents. So, So either historically, this symbol has been, like... You know, adopted into a very negative or very violent or oppressive uh, type era, mm-hmm. <clears throat> or or a positive one. Like a, the cross is a is a execution symbol, and it's a positive idea of Christianity. Yeah. So so signs and symbols are very powerful. So to say that a Christian nationalist, this is where we got to be careful because I think that. I think that Christian nationalism has a spectrum and many, 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 many people do not really know the depth of Christian nationalism and how deep that can go into white yeah. nationalism. Uh, well, and how, because easy,
2: how easy is it just to fall? I don't expect that, yes, but let's just say you jump off a cliff. Right. Well, know, you eventually spectrum, hit the bottom. It's just yeah. a cliff. Right. And so... I mean, how easy it is! Is it's a flag on the stage of a church?
0: Yeah, and <laughs> you and I, you and I, Jay, come from a movement that's Church of Christ, and so our upbringing—not my childhood upbringing, your childhood upbringing—but uh, my education and everything is Church of Christ. I mean, I went; I have a master's degree from Pepperdine University, so so that is as Church of Christ as you can get, and. And Church of Christ is a is a non-government, no American flag. Like we we got in trouble back in the day of not paying taxes and not, not supporting the government. We were we were charged with things. Um, so so how, so it's very easy again, very easy for a Christian to flip signs and symbols. Sometimes make us flip. So I just wanted to say, you know, I don't want to give. Too much intellectual credit because it's it's not but, necessarily but an intellectual. The why movement.
2: is important, right? Yes, the absolutely. Practical, the practical why and and as like Shreya was talking earlier, the if
0: if you're blessed, yeah, then you're Christian.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But the issue, and that's part, the, that's a Protestant experiment.
2: But it's it is it is the core. I think for Christian nationalism that, that you have to stand against all of these oppressive factors of the government so that you're able to be blessed.
0: Right. Drain the swamp. (laughs) So you have patriotism, which is patriotism, all that, all at its core, all patriotism is, is the love of country. So you define your country and you love it. That's what patriotism is. You'll fight for it. And, and I think that that anyone that lives in the United States needs to honor and respect and, and appreciate at a very deep level um, anyone that has fought for the United States anybody that has lost their life for the United States, anybody that has actually followed an order for the United States, um, that is a respectable uh, thing. Now, was the war respectable? Was what we actually did respectable? That's a different conversation. Um, I think we mix that up in our patriotism Mm -hmm. or anti-patriotism talk where we don't respect a war, like a lot of people didn't respect Vietnam, but in the lack of respect of Vietnam, we didn't respect the person that was following the orders. So, so yeah, people just, if just
2: war theory doesn't go down to the individual soldier.
0: Individual, yeah. So you can like not appreciate something that we're doing as a nation, but loving the person and actually respecting that person and, and honoring them on their way home or giving them a hug after they get off the airplane and not spitting on them, um, I think is an important distinction because patriotism, I think, um, uh, appreciates a person's place in our country. What can I interject? It's a, more. Yeah, go ahead.
2: We go to war as the United States. We don't go to war as Christians.
0: Right. And true.
2: We go to war as capitalists. We don't go to war as Christians. Like Christianity is a pacifist religion at its ultimate core. It is completely pacifist. Right. And so, um, and the practicality of Christian nationalism is, is to turn that rhetoric from, I'm going to war in the United States to I'm going to war to, to turn to glass the right. desert right. of Islam.
0: Right. I'm making a a careful distinction because Shreya brought up some things that, like in the practicality of things, right? How does Christian nationalism look practically? Patriotism is different than Christian nationalism. So patriotism is human-centric. When you're a patriot, you're talking about a human being right? When he's a patriot, she's a patriot. That's a human being. So you're, I know that there's new definitions of that and there's, there's, you know, whatever. Um, but I'm talking about the core of patriotism. So, so when it comes to like national action, I believe that you can actually, you know, some people disagree with me, but you can actually be supportive of a person and loving of a person that actually got thrown into this war and they come back. So some people think that the war in Afghanistan was a complete failure. And you know as a nation the the national sentiment is what did we do there? Right? What did we accomplish after 20 years, right? What did we actually accomplish in that war? Um, but to disrespect the person that actually was in that war, I think we need to be very careful as Christians, how we treat people. Nationalism is something different. Nationalism is something that the nation promotes the cultural identity. So that has to do with cultural identity as people group. The national corporate identity of human beings That is nationalism. So nationalism is we as the United States are the number one nation in the world. And we are this and we are that and rah, rah, re Um, when a lot of nationalism actually is not true. Like we are not the greatest in certain statistics. We're not the greatest in in others. Do I enjoy living in the United States and do I want to live anywhere else right now? No. Um, do I appreciate our country and such? There's a lot of things that I appreciate about our country. There's many, many, many things that I appreciate about my country, which makes me make the decision I want to live here. Um, the national identity and how we promote it is nationalism. Christian nationalism, then, is the nation is identified as Christian. So that's the core of practicality of Christian nationalism. And what Sharia was alluding to is that things start to infiltrate at different levels. Practically, Christianity becomes the number one religion. The problem is, is that right in our forefathers' core documents, you know, that we have religious freedom and so christianity is not the only religion here
2: nor can you say our forefathers mm-hmm. were actually christian
0: right well okay. but in the documents that they created we have a freedom
2: yeah so summarize your uh practicality again Shreya, for us <laughs> 'Cause that, that
0: went way overboard.
1: <laughs> well, can I, I kinda, meant to just say signs and symbols. <laughs> can I maybe summarize something that I think Kevin said?
2: Please. Yeah. Go for it.
1: As you're talking about the difference between nationalism and patriotism. Um yeah. it sounds like patriotism says, I want the best for my country. I want it to be the best that it can be. Um, whereas nationalism says, I want this to be the best full stop. We're better than everyone else. Um, and I think when you want things to be good for the people in your country, it's very hard to do that without taking from others. And that's where we cross over the line into nationalism. It's great. That well, we should think... have all the best resources because we want to do the best for our country.
2: Under the name of Christ. Right.
0: right. <laughs> well, I think that a Christian or a p- patriotism, let me define it this way. Patriotism has to do with humanity, has to do with mm-hmm. the human being that lives next to me, my neighbor. Yeah. Right. And because I'm a patriot, I want what's best for my neighbor. And they live in this country and therefore I'm, gonna, I'm going to advocate for them, fight for them, believe in them, do what's best because God created all people good and beautiful. And when I have a person living in my country that's next to me, that just because they live next to me on the same land as me, right, I'm going to love them and appreciate who they are and I'm going to be for them. Whether they are here with, and honestly, patriotism actually goes beyond paperwork. So if you have the not the right paperwork, right, and you're living next to me, my patriotism says that I'm going to love and care for you because you're on my soil. You're on our soil, right? That's a patriotic type thing. It's your duty Um, to care of them. Right, right. Um, It's like, bring me at the bottom of the poem that's at the bottom of the Statue of Liberty. Bring me your hungry and bring me your impoverished. Bring me the other, right? That's what the Statue of Liberty um, says at the bottom. It's a big, long poem that was adopted into the Statue of Liberty. Nationalism has more to do with cultural identity. So I'm going to promote a cultural identity. We are number 1 we're the richest nation in the world we are the best nation in the world we are the best and we're talking about nation like a collective nation that's almost object style it doesn't necessarily, it has to do with a collective humanity but it's not individualistic it's not looking at um and in in uh patriotism i think you have That's where social justice comes into play. You are a patriot in the United States. If you are advocating and fighting for those that are oppressed in the United States, that's a patriotic act.
2: Yeah, it's the tide raises all boats,
0: right? And so here's the challenge. That's
2: patriotism.
0: When you have cultural national identity, we're the best, right? Christian nationalism at its core thinks at its very core from the beginning actually that anglo protestantism is the cultural identity that's the best can i say that again that christian nationalism says at its core from the beginning especially in the united states that anglo protestantism is the best
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, look at how we treated, like, look at how we, we treated uh, Italians.
2: Well, there was uh, so Italian,
0: we had names for them <laughs> when they came to the United States. They weren't oh. Anglo-Protestant. Where I grew
2: up, and there was, down by Salem and Staten, uh, Dallas, Oregon, and Salem were uh, the headquarters of the, of the clan in, in Oregon for a long time. Yeah. And they would do. They would do rides through the valley and up the canyons, and they would they would terrorize like Catholics and, and blacks or minority groups. Mm-hmm. And so, <clears throat> in the Oregonians, Dayton would send out, um, send out messages of come come to our swamps and we'll protect you, if ever there's a raid. And there's mm-hmm. these huge swamps in Staten where they would send out boats of Catholics, and they would all all the protestants would then stand in the stores while the catholics and would would hide in the swamps hmm. so like our history where we're at is is spot on with that oregon is pretty nasty with it
0: yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of bad race history racism history in the united states or in in oregon
2: but in the united states too
0: yeah so Shreya, do you have any um thoughts of practicality to anymore anymore. We talked a lot about practicality man. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Nothing new individualism and supremacy
0: and that Anglo Protestantism. So so think about this respond to this Shreya. The United States for some reason right now has a prescription that we have to continue the way that we always were in history, we have to continue that on our pathway forward. That's a prescription in white, uh, when Christian nationalism that we have to continue in the same way forward because that's how we've been successful in the past. That's why segregation and racism and racial segregation and racial discrimination, rather, that, that's how these things have been just, just promoted forward because we have this prescriptive idea of the puritan protestant experiment
1: and it's based on the success of one demographic
0: right and that's why white fragility that's why this extinction theory Mm -hmm. that's why all these things emerge because like oh my goodness you know this is being threatened okay jake what's our pathway out because none uh, of this sounds good as a pathway we're, forward. To we're
2: me. an hour ten. Do you want to keep going mm-hmm. or no? Okay.
0: Yeah, let's just do ten more minutes and we'll be done. Okay.
2: Um, we'll just, I mean, just quickly. Why don't we just do it that way? Sure. The, the pathway out of of any cult philosophy is education and openness, community and relationship, and so that is that is true for any any cult, especially like. Christian nationalism. Right. And so, but especially in, in Christian nationalism, there's a fear of education. And this Mm -hmm. is, this is why Mm -hmm. like, like Mm -hmm. the, the the term educated idiot comes out or, uh, (laughs) which all three of us are, I guess (laughs) the, yeah, there's there's a fear of school. There's a fear of like what's being taught in school when Mm -hmm. the person doesn't understand uh, like CRT, that is a, that is a, a legal ideology that right. has never been taught in schools ever. And it can't, it wouldn't cross over into, into public education. Um, you know, there's a big fight in Sherwood right now about wanting a parental advisory community for the library. That's a very Christian national
0: S- school library, the school yeah. library. That's a
2: very Christian nationalist view of education that we need parents in there to, to pick and choose what we want our kids to to learn and read where as a
0: collective,
2: as a collectivism. Mm -hmm. I mean, not collectivism. Sorry. That's something different. Right. Um, As a, but how those aren't experts looking at, at Mm -hmm. the science, looking at the data, looking at anything. Those are just uneducated parents trying to protect and, be lawn parents for their children. Um, a lot more parents are things that take every obstacle I, away and make it agree. These around.
0: these discussions on social media are called social media <laughs> data scientists.
2: And so um, so like that. Um, mm. getting in getting involved with with politics to try to to try to control those um, those mm-hmm. people. Um, I think we saw the school board in Newburgh do that. We we Correct. saw any mm-hmm. any school board uh, nominee that has the word "parent" in there. It's not about the parent; it's about the student. Um, that's a very telltale sign of are you a Christian nationalist or not? Is if you believe the parent yeah. has bright education. But like, I think the greatest change of heart would be relationship, and if you sat in front of someone. Yes. And had the openness to try and develop a conversation relationship with them. Yeah. If you say no, that speaks more about you than anyone else. And usually there's there's the no of I'm afraid of what this person will tell me. And that's that's a really sad place to live.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So that's that's the way out. And is just an education and relationship. Finding people that are different than you and being willing to talk to them. That's yeah. not a, that's not a progressive, that's the, or liberal or conservative thing. That's a human thing, but that's a scary thing. And so they're not. Most Christian nationalists are not willing to sit in a room with someone that speaks mm-hmm. different. That is a conversation, and not just rhetoric. They're really good at rhetoric, right? They're mm-hmm. really good at speaking in public. They have the script down. They're very passionate. They they sound knowledgeable. But once you get them off that that rhetoric stream, everything changes. They don't have the base of of emotional language because politics isn't isn't about information; it's all emotion.
0: A lot of it is, like just
2: the attack of of Karl Marx. Right? Let's just take this:
0: that if you're if you're left liberal, you're a Marxist.
2: Well, I mean, sure, but if. <laughs> If, if you've never read Das Kapital or the manifesto yeah, and you're just going off a hearsay, you have no idea what's in that book. Mm -hmm. Right. Those books, I should say. Right. You have no idea. You're guessing your best guess and it's super Mm -hmm. sad. Yeah. But what do we do with that? We have to educate ourselves. We have to put ourselves in a posture of, of openness, both sides
0: mm-hmm
2: both sides of the coin um but yeah that's what I got so
0: yeah and, and having having political conversations <laughs> or theories being thrown around um, Doesn't help. the conversation of spirituality and religion that just really is a anti-biblical idea
2: and i I wrote this in I would well
0: there is no Jesus in empire. The right. Shreya taught me that years ago that it's like, it's, all, this is, Jesus is not necessarily like, you know, healing these people because it feels good. And he just like walks around going, hey, you know, he's, he's, I'm going to heal the sick and, and feed all these people because it's, you know, nice. That's not, Jesus was very intentional. And as Shreya taught me years ago, that it's it's about empire and how empire oppresses certain people, and Jesus is healing and helping people re-enter into um, out of oppression into a functional um, relationship. In action. A relationship with society.
2: Like a if there there is no Jesus and empire, and so the main one of the main things is economics and empire that Jesus spoke out against. Right, mm-hmm. right. And so, if you're going to live by the book, and if you're going to say the Bible is is my textbook, is my ethic, is all that, mm-hmm. then that means that you're a pacifist. <laughs> yeah. That means yeah. that that you're non empire based. That means that you heal the most sick and vulnerable, and you're open. and you're not a
0: you're not a Christian nationalist.
2: Or you're not a Christian nationalist. There's, there's no way. There's no possible way to be a Christian nationalist to have a flag on your stage to, to say the national and to be a Christian at the same time.
0: Well, that friction does not exist. Well, let's say this because I don't want to be a Jesus plus person either. So if I could, I was doing a (laughs) Jesus minus. Okay. So, so correct my language here and and let's just close with this because we're way over time. Uh, If you're going to follow Jesus and you're going to follow the Jesus of the Bible, you're not going to be a Christian nationalist. Yes, that friction does not exist. Agree, Shreya, disagree.
1: Agree. I know we said we were going to end, but can I I do a book show and tell? Because I haven't done one in a very long time.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, do it.
1: Walter Brueggemann.
0: Reality, grief, Reality,
1: grief hope.
0: hope. Um, Walter Brueggemann. Okay.
1: So this is part of our way forward. I want to remind us that while Walter Brueggemann is one of our favorites, he is an old white man. So yeah,
0: yeah, there's right a lens yeah. there. You, you um, can read the, the go. If all you read, oh, there we go
1: If all you read is Brueggemann, and... you're not getting a well-rounded theological education, but he is a fantastic place to start. Um,
2: Come on. This in. book
1: <laughs> This book um in particular looks at the United States and Christianity in the United States and talks about how basically as a nation we have never grieved 9/11. We just went on the offensive and so consequently we've kind of never really moved on and we're we're stuck in the trauma of what happened. Um and unable to really be the church, those of us who are Christian. Mm-hmm. So yes. it is very relevant to this conversation of Christian nationalism in the U.S.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Thank Ooh, you. What do we got? Oh, Reverse your thing. What What is this one? The, you got to mirror your.
2: Hold on. Sorry. Give me a second. Oh, I'm in this one the mirror at the un my camera (laughs)
0: there we we go go. divide american injustice age in the age
1: of the the age
0: of the wealth gap
1: is this new when did it come out
2: that's a while ago but yeah
1: okay
0: that's a good one awesome (laughs) hey thank you very much both of you um on this discussion Next week, we're going to continue our discussion on evangelicalism. Which will feel almost the same. It will feel almost the same. (laughs) Very similar. (laughs) Right. And then on the 26th, right before Halloween, just in time, we're going to talk about the occult. As we continue our series on the cults, have a great, great evening. Good night, everybody. Good night.